Yo, dude, awesome episode, RIP, Richard Donner, 91, man, he had a hell of a run. Uh, yeah, dude, Lady Hawk, in my top three favorite fantasy movies, The Toy, love The Toy, love Lethal Weapon, uh, that episode of Twilight Zone that he directed is probably my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone, so yeah, man, that dude definitely made an imprint on my life, I love a lot of his work so thanks for putting out a really cool episode anyway peace out well pockets of a beer or a cold libation let me tell you how i wrote this little thing i went and took a call from brother jason and he tells me that he has a little dream he says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast and i ask him what you got he said i'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation kickstarts that i'm watching and some blind unboxings full month horror movie marathon sometimes i'll let the box come on contest and of course you know it's all about games i said slow down let's just start with the name it's the nerds rpg variety Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. At the top of the show, you heard Joe Richter of Hindsightless give me a compliment. By the way, that's not the last compliment he'll give me today, but he balances it out. Is he and Barney Dicker lay into me on why I'm wrong about failing forward? Let's get into it. Hold up. The calls may be the best part of the show, but I'm putting the cart ahead of the horse because that's not the only part of the show. We also have an unboxing. We have a movie review of Time Rider, The Adventures of Lyle Swan, and how that can be used in your games. We have a short discussion on why you probably don't want a motorcycle. And I do a crass commercial announcement. But the plus there is, if you pay attention to that announcement, you could come out of this with a crisp, clean new $20 drive through RPG gift certificate. So now that I've laid out the entire menu, let's dine upon the first course. Unboxing. I have an 11 by 2.5 by 13 inch U.S. Postal Service Priority Mail box from Superior POD. Let's add a New York. Not sure exactly what this is. Let's see. I've ordered some stuff from Lightning Source, or from drive-thru, but I wouldn't think this would be that. Oh, no. You know what this is? A while back, there was a sale at Two Hour War Games, and I ordered a bunch of their stuff. And the fact this is all spiral-bound tells me it's Two Hour War Games stuff. And I am right. Of course, with Two Hour War Games, they always send you the PDF to go with the hard copies, which is always really awesome. That's one of the things I've always loved about that company, and Ed, the owner of that company. I've supported two-hour war games for many years. I'd kind of taken a break and hadn't been buying their new stuff for the past few years, so I've been trying to catch up. So we have the newest version of their... So two-hour war games are RPG light skirmish games, and they have things in there, so you can play them solo, you can play them co-op, or you can play them head-to-head. And the, um, they have a really good AI mechanic that lets you play solo skirmish war games. So what I ordered was Six Gun Sound Devil's Elbow, which is the newest Western rules they have. 
I think I have in some version or another, I have copies of everything they've put out um, pretty much. I don't have physical copies of everything. I have physical copies of most of it. So this comes with two battle grids, some um, paper minis, which are nice. And of course the rule set, like I say, it's spiral bound, lots of charts. Um, if somebody wants to check out to our war game sometime, let me know. We'll make time and we'll get online and I'll run you through some of it. We have larger than life, which is their pulp set, their pulp skirmish game, which is really awesome. And again, we have some, some paper standees and some battle maps that come with it. And when I say they come with it, they're separate sheets that come with it. Um, we have, what else? Warrior Kings to be a hero, which is their, um, I think these are battle rules for, these are fantasy. Yeah, these are fantasy um, battle rules. So for, um, yeah, for armies, this is fantasy army battles. And again, we have um, unit counters and some board, you know, some boards and all that great stuff. Um, what else do we have in here? Warrior heroes, warring fleets, the same thing, but just for ships. And again, we have counters and whatnot. Um, I, again, I buy all of, I try to buy all of Ed's stuff, sort, and I just hadn't been keeping up. We have Warrior Heroes Adventures in Talimar, or Talimir, which is his little world. And this is the, basically your, your skirmish rules for basically a party of adventurers, right? So this is what you would, most, most of you guys would probably be interested here. Although the army and the navy rules are, are kind of cool. So, and again, we have, you know, battlefields and paper cutouts on separate sheets, plus all the rules. He has a dungeon delving set of rules, which which I already had. Um, and, and I also got a deck of cards, a dungeon deck from him, which is a quick, you can just deal out. It's got cards, you know, for rooms and corridors and, and all that stuff. So you can just quickly just deal out your, your dungeon layout. And then we have Tour of Duty, FNG, man-to-man -man combat during the Vietnam War. And this is an updated version um, of this, I believe. Let me see what the date is on this. I, I may, it's a different, 2019. So there were two other editions of Tour of Duty. This, oh, it's FNG Tour of Duty. Yeah, this is a newer edition. So I've got the other editions of this too. Um, but the, this is um, Skirmish, you know, for Vietnam. And again, we have like like all these, and this is new to these. The older editions didn't have like the paper figures and the, or you know, the paper counter cutout figures and the battlefields, which is kind of cool. Um, and FNG Unconventional Warfare. This looks like it might, which is to use special forces in FNG. Um, it's the same date on the bottom. I don't know if this has been updated or not. Or I'm, this might give me a second copy of this. I think this is updated with the new version of. FNG though, so if there's any updated tables, it'll be uniform all the way across. And then I got a big pack of um, map boards, of all kinds of different map boards, it looks like. So very cool. Um, more cool for the war gamers out there. But And FNG games are typically set up where you could play them on a 3x3 service, right? So you have a 3x3 table, and then you can use any minis you want. 
any train you want, any scale you want, and you can make it work. You know, typically figures are going to be um, what you see is what you get. However, the figure's armed is is how you just modify the rules for that. And that's the same thing for um, the Song of, Song of Blades and Heroes from Ganesha Games. But obviously, you don't have to go with what the figure has. You can, you, you know, say they have whatever equipment that you want them to have as long as you track who has what. But I, I know I'm in the minority with liking two-hour war games, but I, I really do, or traditionally have in the past. And now that I'm on vacation, while I am taking a break from cataloging all my board games to sell them, not all, but many of the board games to sell them, I can get a game of these in. So what do you think? I will leave this. I'm going to do a quick poll and I'll leave this open for a couple days. Which game do you most want to hear me do? I will give you a choice and I will, then I'll do a recap kind of the gameplay as I go. So which of these do you want kind of an actual play? I don't know how blow by blow it'll be. I'll, I'll definitely go in the mechanics, but it might be a little bit boring. So no promises there how exciting it'll be. But if I did an actual play this month for one of these games, what interests you the most? Wild Wild West, and, and we're just going to do the skirmish games. I won't do the army games. So we have Wild West, we have Vietnam, we have Fantasy, we have Pulp, uh, which of course includes, you know, Lost Worlds kind of things, the dinosaurs. Um, which of those interests you guys the most? It I'll give you a few days to get that back to me. This is being published on, well, what's today? It's the evening of the 7th. So I'll give you until Saturday the 10th of July. And then whatever has the most votes, I will go with that game for my actual actual play. Not saying I won't play any of these other ones, but that's the one I'll actually record it. Just a quick reminder of our bad movie contest. You have until July 14th. 2021 to call in with what you think is the worst movie ever, why it's the worst movie ever. And if you had to run that game at a convention, what system would you use to run it? And maybe a little bit on why you'd use that system. You can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. But if you don't want to do that, I'll just read your email on the air is your contrast entry. You can also reach out to me on Discord. You can find me on the Audio Dungeon Discord, um, Chase Roleplay Rescue Discord. I'm on a bunch of Discords. But yeah, send me your entry. And we're not judging the entries. We're going to play all the entries. And then I'm going to randomly select one person out of all the entries. You only get one. In if you give me multiple movies, I'm still only going to put your name in the hat once. But I'm going to take a random name out of all the entries and they will get a $20 drive-thru-RPG gift certificate. Now, of course, that's worldwide, so you don't, you don't have to worry if you're in another country. Please enter in. You're very welcome. November 5th, 1877, San Marcos, California. Something is coming. Something frightening. Something appealing. Take off your clothes. Something from 105 years in the future. This is a man. He is not the devil. Time Rider, the adventure of Lyle Swan, a man who found his future in the past. Rated PG. Quick movie review and RPG tie-in. Time Rider, 
The Adventures of Lyle Swan. So, <laughs> this 19 was a 1982 movie starring Fred, Fred Ward. It is an interesting little aberration. It's not great, but it's interesting. It's got a ton of uh, character actors in it who, if I say their names, you might not recognize them, but if you saw them, you would recognize, you know, at least half a dozen of these character actors in this movie you've seen in other movies. It was directed by William Deere, probably most famous for Harry and the Hendersons and Angels in the Outfield. But the name that's more interesting that's attached to this is the writer who also did the music, Michael Nesmith. And Michael Nesmith, of course, was a member of the Monkees. So, interesting tie-in there. Time Rider is basically a story of a, you know, this um, dirt race, dirt bike motorcycle racer who gets caught up in a time machine sent back to 1877, specifically November 5th, 1877. We'll talk about that in a minute. And gets caught up into this little thing with some bandits and everybody's trying to get his motorcycle. And then, you know, finally in the end, through, it's not quite Deus, this Machima. I know I said that wrong. But it's, it's not quite a Stephen King level ending because it's built up to throughout the movie. But it, it is a pretty um, pr- pretty abrupt end. Um, like I say, it's not a great movie, but but it's definitely interesting. So we've I'm, I'm not I don't want to ruin it because I think if you haven't seen this, you definitely should check it out. Um, it, if only because it's a pretty unique movie. I mean, we have time travel movies, but this one does it pretty good. I'm not saying it does the time travel aspect pretty good. And in fact, we'll talk about that more in a future episode. I've been talking with Safer Fantasy Crafting. And he and I are going to tr- do a time travel episode together. Or maybe it'll be a couple episodes we're going to do together about time travel and RPGs. So we'll talk about the issues there. But as a time travel movie, you know, this one ha- you know, has problems with the grandfather paradox, the predestination paradox, the ontological, did I say that right? Ontological paradox, basically an object with no creation point that's continually in a time loop. Um, and, and the date, of course, is interesting because 1980s, Somewhere in Time, great movie, you should definitely check that out, has that same paradox, and that Somewhere in Time also has the 5 November date, which, if you know your pop culture time travel, Back to the Future also uses 5 November. Back to the Future, of course, is 1985, it's after this. I kind of think Back to the Future took the November 5th date from... I'm sorry, I, I said Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time is a great movie, but November 5th was used in 79's Time After Time. And, and then Back to the Future also used it. And I'm pretty sure that Back to the Future used it because of Time After Time, not because of Time Rider. Although, I, I didn't research that, so it's possible. All, all great time travel movies, but I don't really, like I say, I'm not really worried about the time travel aspect for this RPG time part. Uh, well, real quick with the movie. Like I said, I think it's worth checking out because it's a weird mix. The music, like I say, Michael Nesmith does the music 
and it's it's upbeat and it's got energy. It doesn't really fit. I don't think the dirt the dirt race portion, you know, the Baja One Thousand. It, it doesn't hit the motocross portion, and it doesn't really hit the um, the Old West portion when they go to the Old West. So the I'm not sure that the, while I like the score, I don't think it really fits this movie at all. The acting is, eh, fine. The, you know, Belinda Bauer plays the main female protagonist who, you, you know, her motivations don't make a whole lot of sense to me in, in parts of this movie. But again, I don't want to, let's just say her and Lyle Swan, Fred Ward's character, hook up very easily. It, it's almost as easily as when you watch Highlander 2 and, shoot, I don't remember the actress's name now, but the actress that plays the, I don't think she's a reporter, I think she's just a, she's an eco-terrorist, isn't she? She's in Highlander 2. She's um, an eco-terrorist in that movie. It's, um, what the heck's her name? Virginia Madison. Madsen. Virginia Madsen's character just sleeps with, um, good old Christopher Lambert without, you know, like as soon as they meet, like they, they start having sex and, and, and it's almost the same thing here, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, that said, the interesting things in Time Rider and things you can definitely adapt to your RPG. Fish out of water, you can always adapt that. One thing they play up really good in this movie, of course he has a red motorcycle, he's wearing a red, you know, red suit, red racing suit with a red helmet. And the locals, because of that imagery, you know, especially the, the villagers and the uneducated locals, yeah, because they're down in Mexico, the Mexicans think he's, he's the devil, you know, parts of this movie, which is good. And that's something you can use in your campaigns. If, you know, you have a character that dresses flamboyantly or dresses a certain way, that doesn't match the norms of other cultures they go into, that dress could evoke feelings. Now, they might not necessarily think they're the devil, but you could definitely have misunderstandings due to how your characters dress, so that how the PCs dress. So that's definitely something you can play up here. But another thing I like about this movie is, aside probably from the, from the private corporation that develops the time travel device, nobody has... has good motives here. And even the, that corporation doesn't necessarily have good motives. They just know they can't leave a, a modern man back in the past, right? Because who knows what will happen. So, although it's interesting, I've talked, when I've talked time travel before and I've talked about, you, you know, remember the Alamo where they sent Vietnam vets, a group, group of mercenaries back to, to win the Alamo. At the end of that book, a number of them are left and, and they go make fortunes and, and survive you know, in the late 19th century, which is in our, into the late 19th century, which is interesting. But here, you know, the corporation, if anybody has a, you know, a golden heart here, it might be the corporation, but really they, they just know they can't leave a modern man back in the late, late 19th century. But everybody has their own agendas, which is great. There's no goody two shoes here. Um, and every, you know, the, you, you see alliances of convenience in here. People switch alliances as as needed, especially one character uh, um, who, you know, you're not... Sh and even to the end, you're not sure whose side this one character is. I won't say who that is, so, so you can watch the movie. But 
So having NPCs that switch alliances and, and, and are really, you're never really sure whose side they're on, I think is something you can adapt and, and use very well. At one point in here, they have to raid the bad guy's camp because the bad guys have the motorcycle and the girl, um, the lady. And during that, you know, the, the bad guy camp, so they're in Mexico. You have some U.S. Marshals that have followed them down to Mexico because of personal grudge. Everybody's got their own agendas. And so you have these two U.S. Marshals totally out of their territory, totally out of their jurisdiction. And they hook up with this guy from the future who wants to get his motorcycle back. But you have this armed camp of bad guys. And there's only a couple bad guys that are really, you, you know, formidable, really, really tough. But you have a whole bunch of, of hangers-on that would be are mooks. But it's still, you, you know, when you only have a handful of PCs trying to raid a, an encampment with, you know... A dozen, two dozen mooks. That can, that's tough, and that's tough to plan. And and this movie, I think, pulls that that chaos off pretty well, and does a good job of that. So so I do think there there are things you can pull from this movie, um, in, in addition to its silliness. And and, and I got to give it credit for the most part. It it's got silly parts in it, but it never plays those parts up as Gonzo. It never plays them up just for laughs for the most part. It it really it is a pretty serious movie in tone, all told. It's not an action comedy, like, say, not not even to the extent that, like, Back to the Future is. You, you know, it, it's it's more serious and more even tone than, than Back to the Future. There, there are funny parts because of some characters, but it's not jokey funny, if you know what I mean. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's all I want to say about Time Rider, The Adventure of Lyle Swan. I do recommend it. it. You can watch it. You can rent it on Amazon. The Blu-ray is out of print. There's a Spanish Blu-ray out there you can get that if you have an all-region DVD player or you're you're in a region, you live in a region, then play, you know, whatever Spain is. I don't know what region Spain is. But you can play those. Then you can get the Spanish DVD, my, or Spanish Blu-ray. I'm sorry. But my understanding is it doesn't have the it might have all these Blu-rays and DVDs I've seen is cut out of them. This version that's on you on Prime, Amazon Prime, is the um, the Shout Factory version from 2013, and it, it it's my understanding is the best version out there of what's out there. You know, as far as scenes that are cut and not cut, this one has, you know, the the best of the scenes in it, and, and you know the least amount gone. So, yeah. But I'm going to cut this short now because I've got a bunch of calls to get to. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason. Happy 4th of July, man. I'm going to be barbecuing and drinking with my family as well. It's my mom's birthday, 4th of July, so I'm down in Southern California. But yeah, dude, I wanted to say it might surprise you, but I totally agree with you about having a simple rule set to have in your back pocket for pickup games and stuff. 
uh, for me, that's that's Apocalypse World or Monster Hearts because there's no character creation or anything, and the rule set is pretty simple. Most of the rules are on the character sheet or the playbooks. You know, you pick a playbook, make some really minor choices that are all listed on the character sheet, and boom, you're good to go. So yeah, I I <laughs> I call you enough when I disagree with you about stuff. So I wanted to call in when I do agree with you. So yeah. Having a simple system in your back pocket is a really good idea. Peace out. Well, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. I told you Joe was going to compliment me one more time this episode. Now, that will be the last time he compliments me this episode, though. But thank you, Joe. I do appreciate it. And you're not the only one that called about pickup games and having a simple system in your back pocket. We also heard from Daniel of Bandits Keep, the Bandits Keep Media Empire. We have a podcast, we have Actual Play YouTube channel, a YouTube channel with, you know, where he just talks about RPGs, all kinds of great stuff. So make sure you check Daniel's stuff out, and you're going to hear a few calls from Daniel throughout the episode. But the first one is going to relate to these pickup games. So let's go to that one. Hey Jason, uh, listening to 218, now short episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those crazy people, right, that tries a new system running a new system, I should say, at a convention, but you're probably right. You probably shouldn't try that for the first time in front of people uh, you've never met. And I think, I mean, even though I said I like to try new, and I was talking specifically about conventions, um, you're having a quick, as you mentioned, a quick pickup system, like for me, the hateful place, you know, just for when the group is like, oh man, let's run something. Who wants to run something? And boom, you know, hateful place, you can make it. You could literally, I've, I've played in games of the hateful place where I made my character while everybody was just kind of joining the Zoom meeting. I mean, that kind of game is great to have where you don't have to think about anything. Hey, Jason. Uh, Daniel. Uh, like you, I have Forbidden Lands, but have never actually run it, so I'm also speaking from only reading it. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. You need to run it in their world to really get the most out of it. I think that's pretty common for, for the Free League stuff. Uh, you know, Coriolis is like that. Uh, uh, Tales from the Loop, I'm pretty sure, is one of their games. Like, they make a game wrapped around the world, which is really cool in a certain way. But, yeah, I don't think that you'd run Forbidden Lands somewhere else besides the Forbidden Lands, I guess. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. As far as it being old school, my understanding is they were inspired by the, the old school revival um, to create kind of like a fantasy game. But certainly it uses their, you know, the handful of D6 uh, mechanic like all their other games. So... It's not really old school in that way. It's definitely like unified mechanic, that kind of thing. But yeah, someday I'm going to play it. Yeah, Jason, this is Randy from Biggest Geek, because I agree. Forbidden Lands is not old school. I think my my idea is part of our old school roots. We're going to try to find some good travel rules. I like the idea of people being active, and uh, I didn't. I don't think Sean actually gave us all the details I could on the podcast. So you explained it more. I'm not sure if I like it either. It sounds a little bit too... too um, Gritty for her own detail for me. Not gritty is not the word, but anyway, keep up the good work. Bye. Of course, his last two calls were from Daniel. I told you we'd hear from him again, and he's not finished yet. We also have Randy, one of the two hosts of Biggest Geekus. Joe, the other host, as well as Randy, have more calls coming up. I did an episode on travel and RPGs in response to something Daniel said over on his Bandit's Keep podcast. And so one thing led to another. And in a recent episode, I ended up detailing how travel works in Forbidden Lands, and that's what generated those two calls and, and the fact that 
somebody made a statement about forbidden lands and old school, and I just pointed out that I don't think those two go together. But we have some more comments about travel and RPGs. And during that, you know, previous episode where I talked about, I also played a bunch of calls where people gave a number of wonderful suggestions on how to run travel and RPGs. And, and so these calls are responding to both what I talked about when I described travel, specifically how it worked in Against the Dark Master, and on all the different comments that all the other callers made. So, so I do recommend you check that previous episode out. But here's some more calls on travel. Hey, Jason, this is Joe from Biggest Geekus. Just want to say I really liked your episode on making travel interesting. It's something that I think a game like, say, 13th Age uh, could definitely use a, a bit of a help with since it's a kind of uh, kind of too predictable um, in many in many ways. You get your quest, you go on your quest, and you come back from your quest. Hardly any randomness there. Everything's kind of set for you. And it, uh, unfortunately, you're kind of set up for success instead of it being iffy at all. So um, that interesting travel bit would certainly spice that system up, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, I'll get back to the rest of your episodes, which I'm catching up on, and you have a good one. Bye. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandit's Keep. I'm uh, listening now to episode one, uh, no, 217, uh, going over the travel rules. Uh, thank you for doing that. Yeah, these seem really cool. I, I think um, it almost feels like, especially since you talked about how you, like it might be the whole session or whatever, it almost feels like the kind of thing where um, this would be almost like a mini game. Like that session where you're doing the traveling, you're kind of playing a different game. You're going to have the decision of where you want to go, and then you're going to have the GM create stuff, and then he's going to come back to you and be like, oh, you know, there's cliff faces, and you're going to think about more stuff to bring, and then you're going to roll to meet these different challenges, or I guess possibly some of them would be role-play challenges. That's pretty interesting. It almost uh, is a, a session where you're playing a different game on some level, and you know I like mini games. So thanks for doing that. I think they sound pretty cool, actually. Hey, Jason. This is Joe from Biggest Geekus. Um, I am now officially all caught up on all of your episodes, and I just wanted to comment on, if I haven't already, on traveling rules. And after listening to all the different suggestions, which I liked a lot of them, I think a, a really good, uh, some good advice is to have a few of those different rules that you can use in your toolbox um, instead of, I mean, if you want to just have one, that's fine. But I think you can use different ones uh, over the course of a, ca uh, a campaign to your advantage. You can narrate sometimes. You can use tables sometimes. You can have the players narrate sometimes. Um, it all depends on what's going on. I think more options is better. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, so those last couple calls on travel were from Daniel Bandit's Keep and Joe of the Biggest Geek Geekest Podcast. Now, I told you you're going to hear Joe again, and he's coming up next with some not-so-kind words. Actually, that's not true. He's still kind, but he, he has some criticisms of what I said when I talked about the failing forward mechanism. And while I did mention a specific genre games, Powered by the Apocalypse, with failing forward, 
I was talking about failing forward in general, meaning any game that uses that, you know, you succeed and, or you succeed, but, or you fail and, or you, you fail, but. So I was including the whole genre of games, not just specifically the Power by the Apocalypse, although I did name them by name. But he and Barney Dicker of Local Ludus Podcast, who's a terrific game designer himself, um, and I highly recommend you go check out the Local Ludus cast as well, but they both ha- they both come to defense of Power by the Apocalypse and the defense of Falling Forward, specifically Barney does. And I, I think they make some good points. And I have to admit that James of the Subclass Hack podcast, the one actual play that I, you know, make a point of listening to, you know, content, you know, every episode, he also shot me a PDF document that has a bunch of examples and, and, you know, holds your hand through the coming up with the ends and buts. And for the most part, I think these points are valid. Um, and I do not think for a convention game or a one shot, it'd be that big of a deal. But I think the key is if you and the G, you as a GM, you know, you shouldn't feel obligated to always have an end or always have a but. Sometimes a failure is just a failure. And if you're having a brain fart and if you can't think of anything, just have it be a success or failure or point to the player next to the player that rolled. So I'm playing with Joe and Carl, and Joe gets a, you know, a, a succeed but result, and I don't have the mental energy to put towards what that but is. I can point to Carl says, I can point to Carl and have him pick what the but is. And you know, of course, players are much more cruel to each other and to themselves than you, the GM, would ever be. You know, it's like your kids when your kids mess up. Yes, then what the punishment should be, right? Same kind of idea. Anyway, let's listen to these calls, and then we'll get start wrapping up the episode. Yo, what up, dude? I just listened to that episode of Frankenstein's RPG that you sent me about failing forward. And I just want to clear up a misunderstanding because you were talking about Apocalypse World, and they were talking about it, and you kind of all got it wrong. <laughs> wrong. In Apocalypse World... Uh, and in Monster Hearts, the two that I'm familiar with, a roll of six or less means you fail. It's not you succeed with consequences. You fail and there are consequences. That's the whole point. Uh, the result on pretty much every single move for six or lower, the entry is be prepared for the worst. It's designed to make failure interesting, but more importantly, it's designed to progress the narrative. So it's not like, okay, you fail to pick the lock, boom, you're stuck, that's the end. No, it's you fail to pick the lock, but now the door opens because the guards heard you and they're stabbing you in the face because you're on your knees trying to pick the lock. And yeah, it works. Failing forward and that kind of thing. I want to come in in defense of failing forward Primarily um, in defense of my own vantage system, which has that kind of mechanic. So we've got uh, we've got straight success, which is the lion's share. You could have a critical success if you have lots of successes. But there's also uh, success at a cost. 
And then, even more rare, the rarest of rare, is an outright fail. Very rare, I would say, in Vantage. So we're talking about this success at a price, success at a cost. Now, I completely disagree that you run out of ideas uh, if you've got that kind of thing going on. And I'll tell you why. Because, in my mind, the success at a cost is always so context-related. You know, most of the time... Most of the time, it's it's completely to do with the situation that a specific character or characters find themselves in. And as we know from our games, these, these vary a lot. Um, and if we're endlessly playing the same scenario with the same issues, um, then something's not quite right there. So, so the success at a cost always springs up out of what's happening in a given moment. But there's more. I think it's actually a really important device in the GM's toolkit. And here's why. Players, characters, games uh, tend to, as we talk about a lot, support some kind of character progression or the games we play involve acquisition of things which make I don't want to say they make they often make life or action slightly easier um, but they're there to make it more interesting I suppose um, more versatile rather than just simply better easier. Failing forward, a success at a cost, is one of the ways that the GM has the opportunity to um, uh, uh, impede that character progression or to, to knock back the acquisition to use up resources. Uh, and those are sometimes just some of the easiest things. You drop something. Something breaks. And that's enough. And that's enough. So sometimes it can be this really wonderful complication that gets added to the situation. And sometimes it's simply just chipping away at the resources that the, that the characters have. But there's more. This this failing forward or success at a price doesn't stop the the, the scenario from moving on. Uh, it it keeps things flowing. It keeps it things going. But as I just said, it, it's it's diminished or limited. The players just a little bit, just clip their wings a little bit, and what that does is raise the stakes, if you like. Make you know, it goes back to the opposite of making things easier. It makes things more challenging for the players, 
and that can be that could be uh, like a world complication or it could be a loss of um, equipment or something or an ability or something like that so the GM doesn't have to be endlessly thinking of a scenario or plot that uh, necessarily becomes increasingly difficult like you don't have to take you don't have to put your brain power into coming up with some ingeniously uh, you know uh, ingeniously increasingly complex um, scenario the the mechanisms of the game themselves are actually are actually squeezing the players and making them more resourceful without you know stopping them so i i'm i'm a big supporter of all of that nice one jason bye bye okay thank you for all those calls i want to thank all my callers everyone that calls in and leaves a message makes the show that much better so please 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 if you want to interact if you want to have your voice heard, if you have opinions on something we've said tonight, if you have opinions on something we've said on a different episode or something we haven't said, please leave me a message on Anchor. You can send me an email, nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. You, if you attach an audio file, I can play it on the air. Otherwise, I can read your email. You can reach out to me on one of the various discords I'm on. You know, I My show lives on listener feedback, so you know, please provide that. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in. I want to thank Ray Otis, who normally provides the clip art. In today's episode, we're using something different, of course. And I want to thank TJ Dranum for the music. So with that said, we are going to go to the Vulcan Diaries, which is just a short little bit on why you may not want to own a motorcycle. And then I'm going to play the outro music. And then after the outro music, I'll play you the full theatrical trailer for time rider and that'll be the end of the episode so if you're not interested in motorcycles and don't care about the theatrical trailer then you can stop here i'll talk to you all soon take care the vulcan diaries actually this is a really short segment today haven't been riding a whole lot because i spent the last week visiting with my mom and because i was helping her move things do things i took the van but I do want to mention anybody interested in motorcycles that be aware there's a lot more maintenance with a motorcycle than there is a car. You know, when I had a motorcycle 25 years ago, I don't remember ever doing maintenance to it. So maybe I got really lucky, but or Suzuki's are just that unkillable, right? But with, you know, every 500 miles or so, you should be cleaning your chain, which means you, Ideally, you're going to be lifting your rear wheel off the ground so it can free spin. You know, you've got to scrub chain down, chain cleaner, chain lube, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not hard, but it takes equipment. It takes, you know, space to do it somewhere to do it. You need, you are, unlike a car where like you never check your coolant level or oil or anything like that. You just take it in for, you know, every 5,000 miles, Jiffy Lube or whatever with the bike. You've got to stay on top of your oil level. You've got to stay on top of your coolant level. You know, I had to add coolant this morning, which to add coolant to my bike, I've got to take a screw off, take a bolt, take a take a plastic body piece off and take a, or, you know, guard off, 
Then I've got to take a bolt out and take a thing that holds the cap, the coolant overflow tank cap down. So it's it's not like just easy as a car. You you've got to stay on top of your tire pressure. Your tires are like your only con. The tires are your life, right? So your tires are what gives gives you power, keeps you upright. Well, that entire stopping force, I guess. You know, your tires will allow you to stop. So you got to take care of your tires and have them the proper pressure is a huge part of that. So there's a lot of stuff with a bike. And a bike, because it's exposed, it's not like there's a hood covering the engine or something. And, and the stuff isn't covered by a body. So your hoses and stuff like that can rot faster. It, it's just a lot more, you know, attention detail. And if you don't keep this maintenance up, you're just asking for it to be in an accident. You're asking for the bike to, you know, do something bad at, at the wrong time. And the last thing you want is at 50 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour to figure out, oops, you know, so just saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a bike. I'm enjoying mine. I, you know, filled up the coolant this morning, took it for a little spin. I'm enjoying it more every day. Really happy with the Vulcan. Um, like I said, the, the, the only bad things now, really. The seat's still kind of sore after 45 minutes or so. I may replace the seat at some point. And what was the other? Oh, the, the other thing is because it's a cruiser style, it's got the Ford foot pegs, you can't stand up on the pegs if you go over a bump. So you're absorbing all those bumps right in your butt. And the suspension on this bike isn't the best. So there's that. But nah, man, if you want a bike, get one. They're a lot of fun. Just... Be aware that it's a lot more maintenance than a car is. I mean, like dirt bikes. Like I've been looking at dirt bikes recently and local dirt bike tracks. And I, I got to tell you, dirt bikes, I mean, for those, you're looking at maintenance like like actual engine maintenance, you know, and it's measured in hours, not miles, where, you you know, you're going in there and adjusting, you, you know, valves and stuff like that. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just talking what I've a little bit I've seen on the Internet. I've never had a dirt bike. But it looks like a lot of fun, but it looks like a lot of work on the back end, a lot of maintenance stuff that the car owners never deal with. With a car, you know, you, you hardly ever do anything maintenance-wise. With a bike, you're a lot more hands-on. So anyway, that's all I have for the Vulcan Diaries this week. I will. And we're going to close out the show. So thank you for joining me, and I'll catch you all next time. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joker by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Train wreck! Oh, 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 oh,
whose name is Lyle Swan. He's racing against the clock. Stand by for automatic. In more ways than one. Perimeter violation. Sector four. Terry, is that for real? Because this ride, instead of taking him a thousand miles forward, will take him a hundred and five years backward. Dr. Savage, wheel! Time Rider, the adventure of Lyle Swan. If I'm right, sir, he stepped out around 1875. Man, am I glad to see you. He just happened to be in the right place at the wrong time. Uh, I was wondering if uh, maybe you could show me on this map here where uh, where I am. And fate gave him a present. Are you okay? Of the past. Where are you going? Only trouble was, he didn't know it. What the hell's happening here, huh? He didn't understand the people. I mean, why are those guys shooting at me like that? And they didn't understand him. Where did these come from? I'm thinking twice, mostly. See, I hang with technoid types. We party and they come up with all this Bonnaroo boogie. In short, everything was different. Take off your clothes. Well, what? almost everything. You heard me, Mr. Swan. Time writer. The Adventure of Lyle Swan. General Lee had had that machine. We won the war. The past present fantasy of a desert racer. A beautiful gunslinger. Where are you from, my friend? Canoga Park, LA. A renegade priest. Beautiful senor, where did you get this map? Got it at an Exxon station. And assorted bad guys. Jumped up and down on it. Up and down. Kicked it. Time Rider, the adventure of Lyle Swan, an off-road racer who's way, way off the road.